Um, we started the break off with Damn Funk's Rollin' off of To Each His Own from Stone's Throw. After that, we listened to Recent San Antonio with The Sound, the Mayday remix, X-Ray, Let's Go, the dub mix, um, Fade to Blacks, In Sync, World to World with Jupiter Jazz, Underground Resistance featuring Yolanda, Your Time is Up, the remix, Inner City, Good Life, the Magic Wand remix, Stacy Pullen with an untitled white label from the Fragile label, Inner Sanctum with the track of the same name, Rhythm is Rhythm with Sinister, Blake Baxter with Crimes of the Heart, The Plan with Change of Mood, and D Win with Face Your Fate. Right now, we're listening to a track off the latest Blackhead album. This track is called Tricky Turtle. And that'll about do it here over at Radio Blackout. Um, Please stay tuned. Living Writers is next. Thanks for listening. This is your freeform radio station, 88.3 WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Good night. Good afternoon. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Joshua Ferris is here. Welcome, Josh. Hi, T. How are you? <laughs> it's good to see you. Nice thanks, to see you. Thanks for, thanks for coming in. It's my pleasure. It's January 26th, and um, so uh, we're, we're taping uh, this this program, and, uh, and, and Josh is here reading, and so hopefully some of you listening out there had a chance to hear him while he was in town. Um, will you be swinging back at all, Josh? Because like, I know you're... You're going to be reading from the unnamed I here. Am. I, I don't, your I, latest novel, out with Little Brown, Reagan Arthur books. That's right. I, I'm done with Michigan. It's too cold. <laughs> I'm done. So I'm, I, I'm out. Even if they say, even if they request me back, I'm out. You're no stranger to cold, though. <laughs> I'm not. Your University I, of Iowa time, or do you feel like you did your penance? I've then? done my. I've done my time. <laughs> time. I, I've done my time. I've done my time. I, New York's been so mild for the last three, four years. No, longer, five years. You know, we've had these little bursts of terrible um, blizzards that have, like, broken records. But it's been incredibly mild. So to come here today, it's just kind of, and it's kind of you know, blustery outside. And so I'm, I'm out. I'm done. And that sort of gray-silver, <laughs> right? Yeah, that, it's, that it's, it's a sky. very... And coming in, it was very turbulent as well. So, I, yeah, it was... It was uh, and they were doing some weird, like, crash-like behavior up very... In the, <laughs> 
very Who high. Who was? The, the, your, the, 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 the flight the, attendants? The, the pilots. The pilots. And then they had to, they had to actually go and, and, and stop beverage service to sit down and put their, like, no messing around belts on. That's when it gets worrying, doesn't yes. it? Did you have your beverage at that point? I did or? not. I was I was deprived. <laughs> you of beverage. were I getting pasty. My, I, w- I finally got my water about two, about uh, three fourths of the way in. Well, before we go any further, I'll read um, I'll read the bio out of the back of of your latest, Josh, the unnamed Joshua Ferris's first novel. Then we came to the end won the Hemingway Foundation Pen Award and the Barnes & Noble Discover Award, and it was a National Book Award finalist. It has been translated into 24, or is it 25 now? Is it's it like 25. It's 25. Okay. Well, no, it's 26. 26? Because Bulgaria just picked it up. Every minute, a new That's country. <laughs> Go Bulgaria. Yeah, Bulgaria. Um, his fiction has appeared in the New Yorker, Granta, Best New American Voices, That He Is, New Stories from the South, Prairie Schooner, and the Iowa Review. He lives in New York, in Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. Is well, that, I live. I, I, I live in Hudson, really. Oh, in Hudson. In Hudson, New York. But uh, I, I also have an apartment in Brooklyn. Is that where Carol Gardens is? Because I feel like when I was reading up on you, Carol I, Gardens is, is in Brooklyn. Yeah, it's a neighborhood in Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I I don't live there anymore. I live in Crown Heights now, which oh. is much more sort of expansive and less expensive. That's that seems like a perfect combination. Yes. So there's all these names to all the neighborhoods. So as an outs- a New York outsider, it's you know you're you're sort of reeling them off. It gets, <laughs> like yes. There's there's this, and then inside yeah. that there's this, this, and this. Well, you 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 must know the enormity of Brooklyn. I mean, Brooklyn is. I think it would be the fifth largest city in America were it not a part of the borough of New York. I didn't know that. Yeah, so it's ab- it's absolutely enormous. I mean, that's that's population. Uh, I mean, I mean that size population. It's got the it's the largest number of people in New York City. So it's just a preposterously large uh, landmass full of people of artistic types. So we have to break and- it down. You know, we we, we get very confused. If you're where like, am I? Where, yeah, where are we meeting tonight? We're meeting in Brooklyn. That's sort of that's sort of like you know, it's like it's like looking on Google, Google the, the the Google Earth and trying to like you know get somewhere. It could be Seattle, Atlanta. Yeah, who you knows? know. Yeah, but it's Brooklyn. It's and Brooklyn. um and I, I I mentioned when we were off the air that I was reading your piece on David Foster Wallace earlier today, and and you had asked him because um, you interviewed him in. 1999 was it josh it was 96 or, oh 96 yeah. okay sorry um and and you had said so why don't you live in new york with all the writers <laughs> um do you do you remember writing that i remember yeah. yeah he he had a uh i thought a very um good response which was i like living where i live in the, so, in the midwest yeah right yeah. yeah he was a midwesterner i think yeah um, and a hero of yours, it seems like. Is uh, that yeah. yeah that's, fair? That's very fair, yeah. yeah. So, The Unnamed, you're on a book tour, or you're, you just started one, This right? is my first city that is not New, New York. York. Yeah. Okay. And so where to next? Which, but I should, you know, ref- I should qualify everything that I uh, said at the beginning. I will come back. I, I, I enjoy it here a great deal. I have, a good f- I have good friends that live in Ann Arbor. Carol and, and uh, Dave Carol and, and Dave, Evie. Dave Give them Evie. a shout that's out. Right. <laughs> In case uh, Evie's listening. Right. In case Evie's listening. 
Um, and so they're always very welcoming, and so that's why I'll, I'll always come back. And I, 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 I love the, um, I love the campus. Because you were sort of, you were wondering at one time maybe to even come to Michigan, but then the the warmer climes of California perhaps drew you. Yeah, I'm not sure it was the, I mean, it sounds like it would be, um, given what I've just said about the cold weather, but it, it was just, a, I had, you know, I've gone, I went to the University of Iowa as an undergraduate, so I thought, well, uh, here's an opportunity to live quite differently than what I've ever lived before, so I'm, I'm going to go to California. And was there also some, some people there that you worked with that you knew you would have an opportunity to work with as well. Jeffrey Wolf was there at the time, uh, and he was enormously helpful to me. Uh, I mean, I didn't know that, obviously, going in, that he would be as instructive and as uh, generous as he was. But, yeah, he proved to be uh, um, um, instrumental, I think, in a, in a in a, at an early time. Uh, the same with the other co-director at the time, Michelle Lachiolet. And then I had a wonderful uh, experience with the two visiting writers, in particular, Jim Shepard. That's why I was going to ask you if one was Jim yeah. Shepard. Yeah, He's a friend of the show. Is he? To, yeah. He's a friend of everyone. <laughs> there, I, you can't, you, it's hard to find a friendlier guy. You can't, you, I don't, I don't, you cannot meet a friendlier guy. And if, if somebody says they don't like Jim Shepard, distrust you can, them. <laughs> you can you can stab them with a cock eye. What is that? I don't know what that is. It's something bad, though. It means that you 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 don't need to erase that. That's an actual word. Okay, you can look that up in the dictionary. Right. It's a clean word. <laughs> it's a clean word. It's a clean word. <laughs> Although it can be used for nefarious ends. But um, so so you well you went to California, um, and then let's say oh before that you went to Chicago. Since we're sort of you know, going through kind of going through your biography a little yeah. haphazardly here, yeah. Josh. Um, yeah. So Chicago in between, though, right after after you got your your English and philosophy degree at Iowa, then you went to Chicago for a couple of years. Well, in advertising? I, kicked a, I kicked around, you know, the way that one tends to do after college. And I, how I, did I, you I, kick? Did you also go to Florida? Like, how, what's to, your Florida I went, connection? I went to, well, I lived in Florida. My my half my family lives in Florida. So did you uh, really grow up in Key West? I spent like my adolescent years there, yeah. So lucky. And I think that's grow I think that qualifies as growing up, you know. Formative. Yeah. When you start developing hair and irritation, I think that in, in multiple places. Yeah, I think that qualifies as growing up. So that's why I grew up uh I was probably there from uh 84 to I don't know. When was I there? I was there for about 6 years, 5 or 6 years. Were and they were in very Key West proper, like the the last key. Uh, yeah, the last key is where I spent most most of where we lived most of the time while we were living there. But I lived when we first moved down there. I lived in a small key called Cudjo Key, um, which you know was sort of like population uh, two hundred and four. You know, it was very small key and full of mangroves and. And very still undeveloped. So, I mean, at that time it was it was it was still relatively unknown. And now I'm sure it'd be, the real estate would be very very expensive and much more uh, developed and less mangroves and forest areas and things like that. But yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. But very different from Key West, which, which even at the time in you know '85 or whatever was uh, just a you know layer after layer of development. Um, and they were still seeking out other places to develop. Now it's you know twenty times that, so you you can hardly sort of um, penetrate down to the, to the initial layer of pavement. Yeah, I haven't been back there in years. Yeah. That's um, but uh, but it sounds like you might even have 
Is there like a, a Florida book kicking around or have some of your short stories taken place in Florida? Yeah, I've had a couple of stories. I had a, a I, there was a wonderful um, anthology uh, put out by uh, Sean Wilsey and uh, Matt Weiland called State by State, uh, 50 writers on, on our 50 states in celebration of the uh, WPA. Uh, what was it? How many years was it? Uh, Would it be 50? Or no. Uh, no, maybe 75. Geez, I don't know. Yeah. Um, now I'm sort of failing them. Um, but in celebration of, of some anniversary, I think 75th year, year anniversary. Don't, yeah, um, my recall is so pathetic today. I'm not jumping in. Yeah, well, help. I'm in the book, so I should know. I mean, I've, I've, uh, but it was, it was a, it was a terrific, uh, terrific experience. And, that, and I wrote about Florida in that. So, I mean, Florida makes its way. Uh, well, those formative years, right? It's marked you. They're, yeah, they're important <laughs> years. You know, they're important. They're um, they're strange and important. And that's actually like a good way to describe the state too. I grew up there, so that's why. Is that right? Where did you grow up? Hope Sound. Hope with the Hope. popular Hope Sound. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> One traffic light <laughs> when we right? first moved there. But huh. now, of course, you know, yeah. the, the sprawl. Yeah. Not so many layers as Key West, but right. it's got its fair share of golf courses now. Well, there's a hurricane coming for you, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, there's... Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. But <laughs> okay, that we're now be... knocking on wood, all our Florida <laughs> listeners, <laughs> turning off this, yeah, the computer. Um, well, well, back to your writing, though. So, so, um, so, so you also, I should mention, well, we did mention it then we came to the end that was your that was your debut novel how many years in the making was this one josh because you mentioned your mentor um jeff wolf as saying like there's you know being more encouraging than the people who say you always have that one book that you put in a drawer right but was this was this your idea that you knew you wanted to make into something uh, this then then we came to the end and then it was uh i don't know I'm national bestseller, book award finalist. Uh, well, I didn't anticipate any of that, of course. I just wanted to tell this, this, you know, I just wanted to tell the story and do it the best, uh, in the best way that I could. And sort of, so it has sort of a unique perspective, but you know, it was just the, the, the novel that I wanted to write. And, and, and you've talked a lot about that one. So we're going to get back to the unnamed. Today we've got Joshua Ferris on the program. Um, as I said, his latest novel out this year with Reagan Arthur, Little Brown, The Unnamed. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be back.
Welcome back. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Joshua Ferris. And we've got Brian Delaney in the engineering seat. Thanks, Brian, for making us sound good, even though I'm sort of croaky. Um, but Josh, you sound great. Well, thanks. <laughs> Very sultry. Thank you. I can go deeper. All right. <laughs> well, maybe, that might need to be cut. <laughs> perhaps for your reading. Should I read? So, yeah, it, which is, it's kind of amazing. And sometimes I wish we could get a video cam in here, but you've opened up towards the back of the book, which is unusual. You're a maverick. Well, you know, uh, this is probably a little self-contained. Nobody will understand what the heck's going on. But, but the writing will be. The writing. Maybe, 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 it'll, maybe it'll save the day. I like, the, I like this little vignette. That's why. That's, I mean, I, 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 you know, you asked me to come in and I didn't have anything picked out so i thought well i'll just i'll wing it no need to get defensive oh, josh sorry. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very sensitive to you. you don't know that about me yet but maybe you want me to start should i do it Ooh, okay from the unnamed it was summer in suburbia the world smelled of well-mown lawns the sprinklers churred round their rotaries american flags wore gravity's folds on garage mounted poles in all God's neighborhoods. He had wandered off the path of greatest efficiency and succumbed to sleep in a park tightly bordered by townhouses and cul-de-sacs. He was woken by a rooting noise. Something sizable was trying to burrow under the tent. Its odd shadow reared up across the slanted vinyl wall. He stepped out of the tent to the early mo- in the, into the early morning sun and humidity and came face to face with a tusked and rangy animal. The hairs along its scruff were gray and bristly. It looked up at him as he stood frozen with fear. In the distance he saw the herd. They were up the small hilly incline near the glinting jungle gym. A few outliers were rutting under the wooden fence that separated the park from the houses. His own outlier was snorting and shaking the tent and very likely shredding the fabric. He heard the slamming of a door and turned to see two men stepping out of a truck. One man stretched and yawned. They wore identical dark blue slacks and short sleeve work shirts, and the door of the truck had some kind of decal he couldn't discern from such a distance. They each pulled from the bed of the truck a rifle with a scope, walked halfway up the incline, and began to shoot the boar-like animals. He threw up his arms and fled. He stood by the stone water fountain, watching every member of the herd fall during the noiseless spree. He walked back to the tent. The boar that woke him lay on its side with a dart in its neck. One of the shooters approached, smoking a cigarette. His shirt said Downers Grove Park District. Is it dead? The man shook his head. We don't kill them here, he said. What is it? Feral pig. He took a drag from his cigarette in the punishing heat, sucking his cheeks in and squinting off into the distance. There, his colleague was lifting the first of the pigs up by a hoist into the bed of the truck. The man with the cigarette turned back and silently regarded the the tent. Languid billows of smoke escaped his mouth as he spoke. You can't camp here, you know. Thank you, Josh. You're welcome. Um, This is, you know, there's lots of outdoor equipment and uh, being outside in this book, but it's not, it's not an adventure um, (laughs) novel. Um, Although it was very exciting with the wild boar. (laughs) I love the the boar who woke him. It sounds like an Maybe a, a future project or yeah. movie, <laughs> um, but but it seems like a a a, a really a, an an inward book, uh, which it seems like maybe you brought 
to bear your philosophy degree. <laughs> um, okay, so what am I getting at here, right, Josh? But but how would you how would you talk about the the life of Tim, like the 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 life of this your your main character? Was it um, was it the idea to show how interconnected the the physical and the mental are, um, and to not take anything for granted, but which is the human condition? Well, I think certainly um, in thinking about, you know, in conceiving the book, it was definitely a, a preoccupation of mine to, to, to look into how the mind and the body uh, worked with one another. I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to get away in, 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 in science articles and philosophy circles and in uh, a lot of in medical circles from this distinction between the mind and the body and and uh, many people would basically say that there there is no such thing i mean it gets it starts to get very tricky i mean is the mind just the brain uh, there are some philosophers who believe that actually your iphone is part of your mind um, that's why it makes sense that people are having things sort of lodged on their ear no, yeah, so it sort of gets closer to the to the gray matter, um, you know. And other other people believe that uh, it it it's just really kind of a matter of sort of like figuring out the wiring before we have Google basically at our disposal, mentally, that sort of thing. And I think that's probably right. Um, but so you, know, you were that, doing bags of research on this. Then, I wasn't Josh, doing a lot. Well, I wasn't doing a lot. I was doing some research, but some of these things are just sort of like, you know, can be terrifying for a humanist. I mean, if you're, right. you know, if you're really interested in, in, in like what happens after, you know, the possibility of life after death, the soul, those type of things. If you start basically saying that, that the mind is merely the brain, then it becomes a very scary becomes a very sobering and potentially scary place. I mean, you can reconcile yourself with that, but you really do have to give up a lot. And I think that for the most part, um, you know, if you're, if those that are doing serious science and serious philosophy, for the most part, they tend to believe that that's the case, that the mind is the brain and that there is no seat of the soul. And the, so, and the philosophy too, the philosophers. That I you've... think philosophers are probably far more willing to, to give up, the soul. Um, That's much, so surprising for some reason. That. Well, I, I think the history of philosophy sort of, you know, wants to retain it. Um, you know, when you, you read, uh, you know, Descartes, uh, who, you know, is, the, I mean, Plato, obviously, but Descartes being a more recent and, and probably relevant example. I mean, you know, uh, uh, I think therefore I am is basically saying, you know, it's, it's, uh, our life force. Or, yeah, or, we have we have something called the mind that is separate from the body, and 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 we're 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 sort of more than animals. But then Darwin comes along, and Freud comes along, and and Nietzsche comes along, and it kind of blows it right out of the water. Uh, so and now we've got cognitive science, which gets us even more refined, and 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 um, so a lot of these things were just sort of floating in the air, and things I was reading about, and I was interested, things I was reading about, and interested in, and so forth. Um, and I thought, well, you know, how do you address this in fiction? I mean, because it's all, what we've just talked about, everything that I've just said is kind of cold and, and is cerebral. And, uh, and how, how, do you make, how do you make room for this and, st and still make a reader feel something? And uh, that was sort of the challenge with, uh, behind The Unnamed in a, in a kind of like more uh, thematic way. And so how did, how did, how did you come up with Tim and, and his... Um, and his sort of his the thing that happens to him is that he his legs walk and propel him and he can't 
right. stop them until they're done. Um, right. But he feels as if it's definitely something that's like a, a disease or something that's happening to him. Right. Um, and, uh, but and, then and, that changes through the book too, doesn't it? Well, I think what, I mean, I, it's a disease. Uh, it's a disease. It's, 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 it's not a metaphor for uh, a, a disease. It's not a, um, uh, I mean, it, yeah, it's, it's a disease that, you know, somebody has asked, many people have asked me, well, what does the walking stand for? And it simply <laughs> stands for the walking. Uh, that's his, that's his, that's his problem. I mean, he's got a, he's got a condition that, that is undiagnosed, that is unnamed. And, and so is that something that you had um, come across like conditions that when, that, that had been unnamed and undiagnosed, like no one had so rare, no one's ever had it before. And then, so it spurred you to 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 make up there are, something there are or is fact, there a, there are in fact diseases that only have one known sufferer yes. and they're usually named after the team of doctors that have that has uh, sort of tended to that one person. not even the sufferer not, not even, even no that, they don't huh? even get that sort of consolation though no, it's the <laughs> it's the lucky doctors that happen to be in you know huh. on call that day hmm. um but you know, I, I mean, I, I wanted to I wanted to talk about disease in the way that that disease uh, uh, can um, strip you bare and uh, leave you in a kind of existentially raw place, and what happens uh, thereafter. I mean, it's not a particularly uh, enviable position to be in. But I'm not sure that at one point or another in the majority of our lives, we will feel something of what Tim feels uh, at the mercy of something that we do not understand. Um, you know, it, it, it applies to other familiar diseases. I think a lot of the things that, that go on with Tim and his family apply to people who suffer from cancer, from, suffer from ALS, more familiar diseases. But those without a diagnosis or a cure have to suffer something else that is a little bit more um, harrowing, and that is uh, loneliness. It's very different, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And the loneliness, which again then is something that at different moments, or, or, or a lot, depending, um, we, all, we can all understand as human beings. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. this not being able to I don't know, to find because like, a lot, there, there's sections in here about hope as well and sort of not wanting to have the hope again for some sort of uh cure yeah i mean hope you know i mean there's like a it's like a cycle i mean when you're when you're searching for answers to an unknown disease i think you're going through cycles of hope and despair and hope and despair and hope and despair and at a certain point in time what you want is not the kind of sine curve of um you know your of, of what the new normal is but a kind of resignation to it a, a kind of steadiness of and with resignation also will come hopefully acceptance and some measure of peace um that's at work here you know the 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 the, the effort that one has to make in order to arrive at that place and that effort is no it's it's, it's no small effort um, but once arrived at that place you kind of don't want to get back on the horse of uh, hope you know i mean you want to kind of uh, realize that this is this is your life, and you only have one opportunity to do whatever it is that you are slated to do. And I think that's what Tim ultimately decides uh, is his fate. Yes, and to to go to go into it 
and and but he does fight it at different times uh, uh, still in the book sometimes for love to get to get back to his yeah that's right um that's life that's right um, yeah uh, so the physicality is really sort of it's interesting because there's so much of both in this book like a cerebral and physicality and and, and um and like that and, and a passion that that the tim and his wife jane um show for each other um was that was that like a reason that you wanted to make sure that that was is was that a balancing mechanism like their 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 encounters in the the luncheon cafe or yeah i I mean it's a uh, i think that what you just said picking up on on those strands is precisely what i wanted to convey so uh you're a wonderful reader i think (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's, we uh, didn't rehearse that. No, we didn't actually. And, 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 uh, and I'm grateful that you, um, that you feel they're, they're, they're all operating there because that's, that, it, that was the, that was the book. Well, well, let's take a short break, Josh. And then when we come back, can you talk a little bit maybe about the method or like the structuring of this book? Sure. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay. Today on the program. Joshua Ferris, his latest, the novel, The Unnamed. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. afternoon. You've got WCBN FM Ann Arbor, Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, Joshua Ferris, his latest book, The Unnamed. Um, and it looks like they reissued um, Then We Came to the End, too, recently. Is that true? With the So you can get pick up both books quite easily, probably now. Yeah, they like to switch the cover on you. You know, they like to... This goes with your website. That does it? Uh, no, they <gasps> oh. retrofitted the site, I oh. think. 
to make it look like the paperback. Do you have your own site, or is it because I actually didn't didn't look, or is it purely connected to um, Little Brown? Or is it? it it's site? like I think it's JoshuaFerris.com. Oh, okay, okay. I think they might they might host it on their server or their, did, their 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 I don't you know their wet lab. I don't know what whatever, <laughs> whatever it is they it, host it there. It might just be my like reduced functioning at the moment, but I couldn't. I didn't see the stuff anything about the unnamed on it right now. It went right to this. Oh, did it? But I went hmm. from Wikipedia, so that was probably my. Oh yeah, my old you, like an old link to it or yeah, something. It probably was an old link. Yeah. Jeez, all right. Well, they got to just... get their act together. At Wikipedia. <laughs> yes. Always screwing up. <laughs> Wikipedia is not that bad. I was just be like, don't do that. Don't rely on that yourselves. <laughs> Some sort of preachiness well, was just I mean, coming out. And <laughs> no, it's wonderful. I mean, I th- it's it would be impossible to live without it now. But you do have to sort of wonder just what kind of information you're getting. But, you know, it's, I mean, how, where, where else would I go? <laughs> it's the same, but even on the internet, right? right? Like yeah, it's, right. Um, uh, so, so before we get really like talking about something like structure, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, were you a Buffy the Vampire uh, Slayer fan? Because I loved that moment when Tim is, um, well, he's, he's reduced functioning. So he's at home and he's, his daughter is told to watch him basically right. in case he walks off. Right. Um, and, and so, and they've been distant, right? right? So like right. examining their relationship and they kind of, you use Buffy as a way for them to understand each other. Maybe. Right. right. Um, he's basically incapacitated and she is, uh, going into college. So she's also sort of incapacitated. <laughs> um, that special she, time. <laughs> that special time. So she's got, she gets paid by her mom to watch, to watch him, uh, you know, um, in case he wanders off, and he never does. So, and she doesn't understand him, and she and and, and he doesn't understand her. Uh, they've been distant, and one day he wakes her up and asks her because he doesn't really have anything else to do but watch TV, and asks her if he can borrow her DVDs of Buffy, and uh, she's surprised at this, but walks down for breakfast and finds him watching the first episode and makes herself a Pop-Tart and wanders into the, li- into the living room where he's watching TV and watches it, watches the first episode with him. And he then starts the second episode and she starts to <laughs> recite Buffy and he's impressed by that. And then they watch the entire, uh, s- what is it? Seven seasons? I think it's seven, right? Yeah. But yeah, I was an, an enormous fan of Buffy and I, you know, it really bring Buffy really brings people together. And I, I thought there's probably no more, appropriate thing than to bring Tim and Becca together than over the uh the course of uh Buffy. That's true. I wonder when um like You're a fa- are you a fan? De- it's an I mean it's such <laughs> a can't. it's a fabulous show. Yeah. It's just a great show. <laughs> and I, I wonder decades hence when people are reading the book, right? When they get to that Buffy the vampire slayer if they'll be like Oh, if people will still, well, if it'll they, be, because I feel like it's part of our cultural. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, pack. I mean, who knows? That by that point in time, they might not have. <laughs> they like, might Bella. not have books. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, when I was miming the paging <laughs> right, through right, your book, yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> but no, I don't think that's true. I, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just uh, capitalizing on a lot of doom and gloom. I think there'll still be books. Uh, he must I, be a writer. <laughs> but hopefully, Buffy, Buffy will still be around, and they won't need a little asterisk, you know, to explain it in a footnote. Right, and it does, the Buffy the Vampire doesn't mean anything else except for Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But so, so, so let's talk structure a little bit. The, the, the first you've you've sectioned the book, Josh. Um, Nice segue, right? <laughs> um, you, you've you've sectioned the book, and then within the sections, there's uh, it's broken into n- numerical chapters. Um, and the first one is the feet, comma mechanical. Yeah. Um, and and then you have like first chill, comma then stupor. Like there's like this rhythm to the the section headings. Um, well, these were stolen. These were stolen from Emily Dickinson. Um, that I should know. <laughs> well, that's all right. Not, you know, it, what it, a shame! Is that? Is, do you have it? There? I have the. I have the. I have the poem here. Should I read it? It's a very. It's a very uh, beautiful poem, but it's it maybe a little dense, as she was wont to be. Um, hey. But incredible. I mean, we have never in America, I think, seen such a syntactically sophisticated writer. I mean. Just an enormous amount of information told in such few words. So, you know, I mean, when you're listening to it at, you know, like at home or wherever you are in your car, it's hard to kind of maybe maybe hear it. Because, I, I mean, I, you know, you always have to read Dickinson mm. two, three times mm. before you even get the, get the rhythm of the thing, let alone the full understanding of what the topic is. I don't know, but, the, but, even, but maybe it's the seeing of it as well as the hearing of it. But it's like there was something that was outstanding in those sections. Well, I'll read it. It's called, uh, it's commonly referred to, although it was unnamed. uh, Ah, nice. Thanks. It all all comes back. That was a plug for the book. (laughs) I'm not saying it enough. (laughs) Available at stores. (laughs) Um, It's commonly, it's commonly called after great pain, a formal feeling comes. Um, And that's the first line. After great pain, a formal feeling comes. The nerves sit ceremonious like tombs. The stiff heart questions, was it he that bore, and yesterday, or centuries before? The feet mechanical go round, a wooden way of ground or air or aught, regardless grown, a quartz contentment like a stone. This is the hour of lead, remembered, if outlived, as freezing persons recollect the snow, first chill, then stupor, then the letting go. So I think that, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously about somebody who's suffered a great loss, uh, whether that pain be a physical or emotional. I'm, I mean, I'm suspecting that it was an emotional loss, but the way that Dickinson then makes it, in, you know, it's all, f- it's all so physical, quartz contentment, like a stone, uh, the mm-hmm. feet mechanical go round, um, and then the end there, as freezing persons recollect the snow, first chill, then stupor, then letting go. Um, so she, you know, like uh, another uh, prime example of this ability to, to, to uh, turn uh, emotional uh, feeling into physical metaphor, Virginia Woolf is a perfect, perfect example of that. Um, but this poem is just so remarkable for saying almost nothing about the emotional life, but getting at this, the, the, the essence of loss. And was this, um, poem important in the 
the beginnings of your your imaginative approach to your novel or was it something that you were as you were working you you came upon the poem and you were reading it or uh it's a it, it was a it's a little bit more like the way in which music works in my life you know i mean it informs somehow informs the writing uh this d- does not have in any way really a ratio of one to one uh it doesn't have like a perfect one to one matchup for the book but it conveyed the kind of it conveyed the coldness and the the you know the the, the physicality of the suffering and then the kind of um what we have to do regardless of whether it's a want like you must yeah Keep the involuntary yeah the in, yeah yes exactly through, e, e, yes exactly through the, life through pain the, the, precisely so it, it 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 had these echoes that i really loved and that i used um you love ev- the poets oh sorry go on, go on to evoke rather than just you know merely sort of steal from i mean i'm ha- i'm happy to steal i love to steal <laughs> but it was more of like an inspirational ev- evocation of the kind of feeling i wanted to get across mm. Like the Ralph Waldo Emerson from your first novel. The Emerson that, was very informative for them. We came to the end. Yeah. Tom Mo- Mo- Tom Moda. Yeah. yeah. Moda, yeah. Mm. Um, so, so w- what was your uh, approach to writing the story? Because it moves around in time sometimes too. Like the, something will happen and then, um, and then we'll go back and we'll see what's happened to another character later on. Mm-hmm. Um, how... Like how, when you were, when you're approaching the, a novel, like a long, long project, uh, how, how is it coming to you in sort of an organic way? And, or are you shifting things around as you're coming to them or how are you seeing the pieces? Um, th- actually this book feels much more linear than my first book. So I feel like I was much more constricted. Uh, I had to be much more sort of, you know. A then B then C, um, because then we came to the end is is about it's all over the map, and here I had to be much more disciplined and, and linear. Why? Why did you feel like that was the way this story had to be told? Because it tells the story of his life in essence. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it, it goes from his third recurrence, uh, which, or rather, his second recurrence. Recurrence is such a difficult word because it means. It was so difficult for me as I was writing it, and the copywriter was always like, "Is it the second recurrence or the first recurrence, the third recurrence?" Because, oh, because what's recurrence the means, yeah, the recurrence <laughs> is like in relation to another episode. So you've got like two. It's just a very difficult word to get your mind around. But he's on his second recurrence when the novel opens. He has a he has a, then a, a, a remission, and then his third recurrence, which never goes into remission. So basically, I, I'm just taking him from his second recurrence through his uh, a brief period of time where he has a, re- a, a remittance, and then the rest of his life that is sort of with this disease that never abates. So I mean, I just sort of had to tell the rest of his life, and that spans the the course of about forty years. And so you, you felt like you had to get to the end. Yeah, it was just a matter of getting to the end. Uh, and I did sense. that in a very systematic way, a kind of a traditional, linear way. Was that, um, but since you said it was constraining, did that was that something you could still like enjoy? Like, it, you were you did it ever feel like you were going through the motions? Like then you had to, or did you feel like, um, 
because if you if you kind of if you've written such a different you know um, something that's all over the map as you say and then you're working in this different obviously you want to always be doing something different and 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 trying um but did, did you feel like you well it's going to take a long time to get to the end of his life or was it something where it was un, unfolding these different um like like when did you know he would go back to home um i to sort Jane, of I, I find or, i find these things out as i'm writing them yeah i'm finding them out i'm discovering them at the same time kind of that the reader discovers them but they sort of become inevitable you know as you get to a certain point in the book they become I don't want to say that there's some sort of occult takeover or hijacking by the characters the that, aliens. you know that dictates <laughs> the way in which I'm I'm writing and they they do it for me but certainly um it just seems inevitable that this is how they'll what they'll do cuz otherwise then it would feel like the writing like you were strong arming them in yeah, some I way if so. it wasn't yeah. that sense of it yeah. right you'd feel it i think the reader would feel it it would be inorganic Inorganic, right? Yeah. And we're all for organic here on on Living Writers. Brian is nodding too from the engineering booth. <laughs> well, let's let's take um, a short break and we'll be back. Um, you've got Living Writers, um, Joshua Ferris here in the studio. His novel, The Unnamed. We'll be back. Got living writers, Josh Ferris, um, here today. Um, I'm T. Hetzel, and what, what were we just listening to, Josh? What was that? Far from me by Nick Cave. Ah. yeah, it's a beautiful song. It comes at the end of the boat, 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 <laughs> the, bo- 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 the boatman's <laughs> call. Oh, the boatman's call. The boatman's call, which is, uh, I think, I don't know. This is all here. I, this I got secondhand from a friend, but I think the album that he made after the P.J. Harvey break. Because yeah, I noticed on because these I should say these are all Josh Ferris picks for the songs that we're hearing today, and one on your list was a PJ Harvey song too, yeah. and I was like, oh, Nick and oh, PJ sad. in the same, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so if they was... couldn't be together in life, they can be together on my playlist. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, just by being here, you make things better, man. <laughs> <laughs> Always trying to improve the love lives of the Brits. <laughs> right. The thin, the Brits. stormy thin Brits. <laughs> exactly. Um, Beautiful album, though. I mean, really. I mean, that's that's a that's just a, that's a desert island album. You know, it's a desert island album for depressives. But you know, they 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 have they need islands they too. Need, they do, <laughs> and albums. And albums. There's plenty yeah. of albums yeah. out there. Yeah. <laughs> you actually mentioned earlier that um, like music plays a role in in your creative. 
um, I don't know, process. Um, well, I think it, it's... Do you play uh, instruments or is it no, something like, like the... I, li- okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can hardly play this microphone. I mean, it's a tough thing for me. I have Bang no sense job. of rhythm or... It's awful. I know. I always wish that I could s- sing. You know, you go... Have you been to Ireland? Because you are Irish, you said. I'm, a, I'm Irish. Your parents are both Irish? Or? No, one, one... No, I think only... I don't know. Oh, some, somewhere in there. So there's some <laughs> We're all Irish. Yeah. No, We're no. All Irish. <laughs> you look really Irish anyway. But if you go there, then like, or if you go to an Irish pub, right? They all, people, if you go over into one in Ireland, they all, like, the, you, you're meant to have a song. Like, because if, if it's singing, if everyone's singing, it's going right, around. Right. But you know what? You can also have a poem or something. I but. have to tell you, you remind me of the, the uh, I was fortunate enough to be um, at this year's National Book Awards. And I have. Is a, that? Did you get a like a medal for that? No, this. I, oh. I, I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, this year's. I was. I, I was nominated in two thousand and seven, and I did get a. I did get a medal, a nice little medal. Um, but after it was all over, I tagged along with Colin McCann, who was probably just too happy. He had won for "Let the Great World Spin," and he was probably far too uh, happy and, and maybe even a little tipsy to know that I, I was. Uh, holding on to his coattails while he went into a, a bar that he, it was called Ulysses and it was an Irish <laughs> bar and, and he was just absolutely ecstatic for having won and couldn't happen to a more deserving fellow or a desert, more deserving book but he ends up uh, talking or, or singing with his friends at the bar and his brother was there and they were singing old Irish ditties and it was probably four in the morning maybe five and it was ridiculously late and I captured it all on the iPhone and then lost my iPhone unfortunately um, but it was because I was thinking was, we could go out on that song <laughs> yeah no I don't know what song you know it was, it's, it's, some, it's some Irish Rose song I mean, who knows what <laughs> yeah, it is Danny Boy uh, yeah, it's a, yeah I mean who knows you know it was some ditty that they all knew um, but it was a it was a wonderful moment to see them all like bellied up to the bar and I mean none of them have bellies but you know what I mean and they're they're arm in arm and sort of like huddling like footballers and singing Irish songs and uh, it was it was a special moment yeah they, none of them probably remember it <laughs> but you know probably no Irishman remembers ever singing at a bar probably well <laughs> right. so it might be the right. the few that's come before right. <laughs> no. Just part of it, yeah. But it's it's kind of something that I feel like um, that that maybe we should uh, also be. I don't know, have as part of our lives too. It shouldn't be that like like oh, it's a beautiful moment, but oh, we could have those moments too. Singing? Yeah, I don't know about okay. That I, I'm not sure if a lot of people are singing and yeah. if it's loud, yeah. <laughs> there's clanking of glassware. But um, but I feel like that's that's in a way part of like whatever. Um, maybe it's at the core of your novel too, the unnamed, um, which is probably not something that you intentionally thought, Oh, I want to like try to look at the human condition and see what we take for granted and what escapes us, even if we're trying to be aware of it. And you know, like those moments, how it's, it's only up to us to have, make those moments, you know? Yeah, that's certainly, uh, uh, that was certainly on my mind. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, you know, I think, uh, at least in human relationships, we often think of them as ups and downs, but I tend to think of them more in a kind of, uh, as if you're looking straight ahead and the way that it's going is like, if you put your, if you put your hands together, right. And then you move them out and then bring them back together and then move them out like two cars that are, you know, 
kissing and then going out and then kissing. Maybe and not cars. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Well, what's the? But that's the. Yeah. Vi- you know. You, I right. think people can visualize that. I think that's how we kind of connect as human beings. You know, we're kind of like we're coming together and we're touching just briefly, and then we're kind of vectoring away from each other, and then coming back together and then vectoring and away. then that closeness is still there when you vector back yeah well, i mean you, if you're you, lucky you reclaim it i think you reclaim it but for a while you're you're vectoring you are in fact vectoring away and i think that uh, in the book music works uh to bring uh, another way in which becca and tim the daughter and the, the father and the daughter come together is through music um it's a way of them sort of connecting briefly and then uh and then because of because he he suffers from bouts of walking he he literally has to go away but he he can look makes, at her tour schedule he <laughs> can look at his her tour schedule and make a, an effort when he's not walking and not sleeping to come back to portland for example which is where he sees one of her shows because she becomes a musician but i think that's also how it works with jane his wife um you know she has to go pick him up that's a very physical uh manifestation of coming and coming together um, but they also go through uh, emotional, this emotional kind of um, touching and parting and touching and parting. And I think that even if we don't suffer from disease, if, we, if you're in a long-term relationship, this is how mm. things work, you know? I mean, you can't sustain the kind of intensity of those early years of, of romantic love uh, without kind of, you know, fading away from view from the other for a while. Uh, and then remembering you that with Jane in the book more than with Tim, I think, although his is an absence, right? Yeah. But Jane, what Jane has the Jane has what he doesn't have, which is the freedom to leave. I mean, Jane has the freedom to leave the marriage. So that's why she considers it yeah, s- several yeah, times. Right. I mean, sh- she would be inhuman if she wouldn't, um, you know, I mean, she has her health and he doesn't. And so whether or not that, uh, can, that, that, that convergence and divergence is going to continue in this uh, otherwise healthy marriage is kind of up to her. She's the healthy one. Um, so, you know, her devotion is questioned. She questions her devotion. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's not only how this works literally within the book, but also, how, I think, kind of how it works within relationships in general. And so that would make sense why you would want it to be in the book as part of yeah. that that other that layer. Um, yeah. Well, when so when when did you know? Because it seems like you you and in, you inhabit now you inhabit the world of the the, the mind and the stories, um, and Josh and and you've probably done so since was it since. 2007 like is that what your day-to-day consists of like mostly like the the sitting down and working or or writing on your treadmill (laughs) my uh my my day-to-day seems to consist of um cottage cheese and email that's what my yeah so it's not as exciting as that but i try to yeah work very hard every day i try to work about six hours a day and and uh avoid the internet and perhaps get a run in and pay attention to my family and do something uh mildly interesting at night and <laughs> it's it's uh <laughs> it's a good life but it's uh it's a it's one of of steady work you know which i think for me defines a good life if i'm working 6 hours a day at writing then 
I'm uh, I'm a, I'm a very happy person. Are you? Are I mean, you... I'm mildly de- depressed <laughs> and despairing all the time. But, yeah, come on. But ha- but but you know, is, if happiness is 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 uh, is a myth, and it's a this is the kind of myth I'd like to be in. The you, working myth. A working myth. Hmm. I like it. Um, do Do you ever have you ever had patches where where things have quite quieted down, or are you able to to keep with with the the discipline of the or the like the working life? With yeah, I, I I I don't usually have any any time filling the. Or I, I made it sound I like, sor- time like filling the hours. psoriasis or something. Do you have any patches? No, yeah, I don't have any patches. I don't <laughs> no. have any patches. <laughs> when when did you start writing? When you were a kid, like when did you think you know? Um, like, did you have a little typewriter or a big typewriter, or a clunky one, or or did you? When did you think I'm I'm can do this? I'm going to be a writer. Whatever else happens, be damned. Or oh, I think it took a long time. I mean, it's it's very different from being a banker or a lawyer where the kind of the infrastructure of who you are is already set for you. You have a diploma, you have a a, a, pay, a steady paycheck, and and you know. Um, who your colleagues are and uh, there's somebody there to say here you know you're a banker and you get benefits um a writer sort of has to i think he or she sort of has to put in enough hours so that it would actually be disingenuous to say you're anything else you know i mean if you're a young writer you probably don't have much of a publishing uh record um and so you can't really say i'm a writer here look uh, you know here's the proof but if you're putting in the hours, um, you kind of have to say, well, I'm a writer because it, to, to say anything differently is kind of not telling the full truth about myself. And I think I'd put in enough hours. The first time that I felt comfortable really saying that I was a writer was when I knew I'd put in enough hours. I like that as, as a yard as a yardstick. Yeah. I mean, even though we're not meant to measure ourselves, I think that's like a, that seems like an authentic, authentic one. What, what, if, what about when you were a kid? Was there like, um, were you, were you writing and reading or was it more, um, yeah, I was doing a lot of both. I was being read to a lot. And then when I could, when I could, uh, write, I did, you know, Alfred Hitchcock parodies and Mad Magazine parodies and, um, so it makes sense that you would go towards something with a lot of f- humor in it as as one of your f- first your your, your yeah. first novel. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was I think it's a way I think we're on, dude. Previously on 24. Hi, this is Chuck Norris. Start talking! Bad things happen to good people. What are you talking about? C4. The following takes place between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. And welcome to the Wednesday DSR. Wow, that was completely non-sports related. <laughs> I wanted to change it up a little bit, you know. It's a down season. <laughs> Such a down season. It pa- actually it's great. It parallels Michigan sports. <laughs> oh, Such God. a down season. Hey, at least we had an up night last night, though. Someone won for once. We and won. Why don't we go straight into Michigan sports? I mean, I mean, I uh, game wasn't on TV, 
but I saw it was it was one zero after two after two periods, which was kind of frustrating to see. But um, it was good to um, to get the shutout, get a what turned out to be a big, I mean, like a big win. Uh, it was nice to see Louis Caprusso get his first multi-goal game of the season. Yeah, it took a little longer than you would have anticipated. Should not have come <laughs> in uh, the second week of February. But um, I mean, Brian Hogan—that's his fourth shutout of the season. He got last night. Yeah, but this was against Bowling Green. Aren't they like the worst offensive team? They—they're uh, pretty bad. They're—they're um, they're among the worst. I think worst. they're right there with the Western Michigan at the bottom of the CCHA. Their power plays eleventh. One of their four they're, wins was against us, though. Yeah. So as sad I mean, as that was. It was a trap game. They mm-hmm. got over it. They they shut him out. The first period was kind of. Uh, like good and bad, kind of like in the middle. It was a back and forth, and Michigan wasn't getting anything done. But the pretty much the key of the game happened when uh, Nick Eno, the Bowling Green goaltender, something uh, I know he pulled on his uh, ankle, something like that, in the crease, and he had to come out of the game. And then the backup, the freshman uh, Andrew Harmon, had to come in. He played well in the first like five minutes, but then they got uh, Michigan got a power play, got the goal, and then in the third just took over. That's what you know. They needed to take over in the third. It's teams like Bowling Green that you have to beat for nothing. I mean, when you have 